This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, welcome to Money and Markets. And actually, this is a special edition of the podcast. I'm Dan from Shares, and for the first time in the podcast history, I'm flying solo. So I was lucky enough to grab some time with highly respected fund manager Nick Train a few days ago. The interview was so interesting, I thought you would enjoy hearing the full thing rather than us just giving you the highlights. So for those not familiar with the man, Nick is the co-founder of the asset management business, Linzel Train. Now you'll hear him mentioned in the interview, someone called Michael several times, and that's his right hand man, Michael Linzel. So the two of them actually managed an astonishing £22 billion of investors' money across a range of funds, including Linzel Train, UK Equity Fund and Finsby Growth and Income. So when I caught up with Nick, he was in fairly good spirits, despite having a broken toe. Uh, He kind of apologised. He was wearing a very bright pair of trainers with a suit. And weirdly, that's exactly what Alistair Mundy from Investec was wearing when we had him on the podcast just before Christmas as well. Maybe that's what the trendy people in the city are wearing these days instead of men's braces. Who knows? So Nick is widely considered to be one of the best investors in the UK. He takes quite big bets on companies. So his portfolio is what's known as concentrated. So they've only got like 20 or 30 stocks in there compared to some investment funds, which might have more than 100 in their portfolio. And he's a big fan of consumer goods companies and businesses that embrace technology. So in the interview, we talk about whether the coronavirus market fears have sort of triggered him to make any changes to his portfolio. We talk about investing in football clubs, his thoughts on why PG Tips and Marmite maker Unilever is having a few problems, as well as ways in which you can potentially get more people to start investing. So without further ado, let's listen to the interview in full. And you just might notice that Nick mentions a lot of companies in the interview. Um, He's not recommending that you're making these investments. It's purely to explain what he's doing. Okay, so we're here with Nick Train, fund manager at Linzel Train. Hi there, Nick. Hi, Dan. Afternoon to you. All right. So we want to talk um, about kind of what's on your mind at the moment. Um, So coronavirus is in the news. That certainly looks like it's going to have negative impact on the Asian economy and potentially world trade. Are you concerned enough to consider making any changes to your portfolios? Well, the short answer is is no. Um, If anything, we would regard a a, a news item like this sort of development like this as an opportunity to maybe add to some businesses or share prices that have been particularly impacted um, but, you know, I, that, that, that comment doesn't derive at all from any superior insight we have into the course of that virus or issue. Um, it, it, it more relates to uh, a rule of thumb that we bring to bear on all kind of macro factors. I don't know whether you'd call coronavirus a macro factor, but so similar to Brexit, for instance, uh, or maybe similar to uh, political uncertainty. So our our rule of thumb, um, you know, and I'm deadly serious about this, by the way, I'm deadly serious about this. Our rule of thumb is to say it's best 
to work on the assumption that everything will work out just fine in the end. I don't know if that sounds complacent, but when you review the history of societies, economies, stock markets, it's not difficult for you and I to look back through history and spot multiple events that were very, very scary indeed at the time. And yet, over a period of time, they turn out to have not been so relevant at all. We're not saying that there aren't individual, you know, to use the terminology that, that I, 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 I've read in relation to this virus, black swan events. You know, of course there could be a black swan event where this time it really is different and this time, how many did people did the Black Death take out? A third of Europe, whatever. <laughs> Maybe this is it, but probably it isn't. And trying to double guess that by messing around with your investment portfolio to us doesn't really make sense. Yeah, so I guess, it, I mean, if you're a fund manager and investing, do you find that generally you have to be optimistic or be realistic about what's what's going on? No, I think that is a great question. Um, and, and I can see in in the arc of my career, I, I, the, the, there was a, a change, I, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe, maybe 25 years ago now, where I consciously and deliberately said to myself, you must start being an optimist, mm. yeah? Realism isn't good enough, and pessimism, that is definitely a non-starter, you know? Um, if you're in my business anyway, the equity business, you're mm. investing in corporations, you're investing in growth, you must be an optimist. Um, Sometimes it's wrong, you know, I, I, I hold my hands up. I would say I, I'd been very optimistic on the 1st of January 2008, <laughs> the year of, you know, devastation. Um, so it was wrong to be optimistic then. But as a general proposition, you know, I, I really do feel fortune favours the optimist and fav favours the brave because you have to take decisions based on at a certain point you have to go beyond facts mm. and at that point you go beyond facts it's down to are you an optimist or a pessimist and actually the best decisions come when you're taking uh, an optimistic view in my experience i guess that um links quite nicely to i wanted to ask you about a couple of the holdings in your funds which would be Diageo and Unilever. Um, now they've been, both been seeing sort of a slowdown in their sales growth recently. It, I mean, these these sort of companies seem to be the household names. Everyone sort of sees them as dependable um, businesses. But is there something that concerns you about what's going on that they're not growing as fast as perhaps people thought they might do? The one word answer is a, a bang the table, raise my voice. No, mm. no, um, but. Uh, perhaps we can have a discussion about it. I mean, I think that there are a variety of perspectives that, 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 that could be of value here. Um, I mean, sp specifically with Unilever, or, although I think the comments are to an extent relevant for Diageo. Um, you know, I, I've been in this business a long, long time, 35 years or, or longer. 
Um, I can barely remember a time when people weren't concerned that Unilever was a bit stodgy, you know, sure. that yeah. growth was a bit, it's always been a bit stodgy and a bit disappointing in inverted commas. And in part, that reflects the incredible um, diversification of, it's a truly global business. It's in 190 countries, you know, two and a half billion people a day use a Unilever product. What that means is that on the downside, there's always something going wrong. Mm. You know, there's always <laughs> a problem within a business as diversified as Unilever, a market or a product. But on the other hand, and you know, I think this is self-evident, the that breadth, that diversity has brought enormous strengths and durability and reliability to the company. Um, and, and the reality is, if anybody over the last 35 years of kind of my career had decided that Unilever was boring and there were more exciting ideas somewhere else, probably they would have regretted that decision mm. because just look at a long-term share price chart of Unilever. <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, so I don't see that there is any fundamental deterioration in the in the strategic argument for a Unilever or a Diageo. Of, of, of course, the growth rates can be a little bit volatile. But I, I think a, an important or maybe, I, I don't know if this is too complex a, a point but but one of the one of the things that really strikes us about you know the markets the world that we're living in today is there ain't any inflation you know there's there's deflation yeah you know what tech is doing it's ripping away pricing power for so many industries actually really there isn't much inflation maybe there are falling prices what that may mean is that if Unilever's growth rate goes from 3.5% per annum to 3 which is what people are complaining about at this most recent period, maybe that's still accelerating real growth because inflation is so low, inflation is negative. So I, th I think it's important, yeah, maybe a decade ago, Unilever was growing at 7%, but maybe 4 or 5% of that was inflation. Mm. which isn't as valuable. Does, does that make sense? Yes, certainly, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think that the real growth rates of these businesses that own truly resonant global consumer brands, I don't think the real growth rates actually have slowed. Um, if anything, they've picked up. And yeah, in our opinion, it makes them still... <laughs> Not the sort of investment idea that you say, buy it because it's going up a lot over the next six months, but it makes it the sort of investment where you can quite confidently allocate capital to or your savings to over a five or 10 year period. And that's valuable. Mm. But you're not really known for adding new names to your portfolio. So when, when you do sort of add a new name, it sort of, uh, attracts quite a bit of attention. So PZ Cousins is one that you've picked up recently. Could you give me some sort of insight into what caught your eye with that one? Yeah, I, 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 I can. Um, I, I'm not sure I approve of the attention that this <laughs> receipt. I mean, you know, in, in some ways, genuinely, I, I, I think 
Mike and I, our colleagues find it a bit embarrassing that apparently it takes so long for us to come up with a new idea. You know, yeah. you, you might think with all this work that we're doing that, you know, there'd be a new ideas all the time. But for us, for whatever reason, they don't come around, they don't come around that often. Although to tease you, there is actually an even newer holding oh, wow. in our in our global strategy, uh, sorry, our UK strategy, the funds I run, mm. which we bought this week. Oh, wow. Tell, mm. Can you tell us all No, about I it? can't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so you, 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 what's the cliche? They're like buses, they're yeah. like trains. You never know when they're going to turn up. So mm. this market turmoil, though, we've had over the last six or nine months, it has, you know, it's got us interested again for... Mm. for for, for the first time in a while, maybe. But PZ Cousins, I, li, li, listen, by the way, this is, this is a very slow burn investment idea. We are not hurrying to, to build this holding. Um, we're assuming that, that it's going to take a while for us to build a holding, it's also going to take a while for the company to work through some issues that it currently has. And mm. it really does have some issues. But to us, okay, let me just say, so so why would we buy it? Why would we buy PZ Cousins? Number one, because like Unilever, like Diageo in a way, it owns some great brands. Mm. Um, Carex is a tremendous brand. Um, Imperial Leather is a well-known resonant brand. I don't suppose that you personally use Saint-Tropez, do you? The no. Fake, no, you don't? <laughs> Dan, you surprise me. <laughs> but Saint-Tropez, they also yeah. own. That, that is a, a, an important brand and a, a rapidly growing brand. So they own some excellent consumer brands. The company also has several, two or three unique positions and market shares in emerging markets. Mm. Um, economies around the world with big populations and rapidly growing populations where over the course of time, you'd expect PZ's market shares to, to deliver great value for, mm. for, for, for shareholders. So, so, so those are the two things that made us, well, have, have made us want to follow the company. The reason to begin an investment is that the shares are very, very depressed. Mm. Um, I mean, the, sh the shares probably must have halved over the last five or six years during a big bull market, of course. So yeah. PZ Cousins, you know, for long-term shareholders or medium-term shareholders, it's been, it's been a, a, difficult, a difficult investment. Um, is, is it your style to, to sort of go in and talk to management, make suggestions about how to fix businesses? Or, or are you actually, you recognise that there's still turnaround potential, but you're a sort of a hands-off investor? Yeah, again, I, I, it's a very interesting question. Um, my comment, more, I don't know, vainglory, my advice on such issues is self-knowledge is valuable in this game you know if you're an investor professional investor amateur it, knowing what you can do and what you knowing what your expertise is knowing where your weaknesses are is absolutely critical and to be an activist investor which is kind of what you're implying yeah, yeah. to be an activist investor you have to seriously think that you personally could run the company better than the current executive or the board of that company. 
And we don't suffer from that delusion. Mm. We don't think that any business that we're in, we couldn't run it better than the people who've been entrusted with the senior roles in that in that company. So no, we're not activist. Um, you know, I, 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 our, gen, our general position is to be, did you say passive? Well, no, just yeah. sort of hand, hands off sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd, 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 you know, we, 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 we want to support companies and we want to encourage companies to do the right thing. Um, occasionally we're asked for advice, um, but, but to us there's a clear demarcation from that to actually saying, do you know what, you're all idiots, we could do this better than you. We know that we can't. We know that we couldn't. Um, you know, PZ Cousins, just going back to PZ Cousins, um, I mentioned emerging markets. It has a very major business in Nigeria. Nigeria has been a basket case, not just for PZ Cousins, but for many, many corporations over the last four or five. That's the reason that the share price has fallen. Um, the, the, the company has our shareholders, including us. Do shareholders want PZ to continue to maintain its exposure to Nigeria? Mm. And I mean, the answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> That's an important reason why we've made the investment. Not that we have any particular viewers to when or even if Nigeria will recover, but just recognizing that's a really populous, important geography. One day, one day, could be three years away, Nigeria will be recovering and PZ Cousins will look a very, very attractive investment at that point. So maybe at that sort of strategic level, we can have a conversation with, with companies, but never tell people how they can do it better yeah. because we don't know. Okay, so one of our listeners has got in touch and they, they wanted me to ask why you like investing in the football sector. So you've got stakes in Celtic and Manchester United. Um, I guess And in Juventus. Oh, Juventus, in, in, our, yeah. glo in our global strategy, yeah, yeah. We're, we're also invested in, invested in Juventus. I guess if you, you could look at it as an industry where they, they're paying... Uh, staff costs are insane. The amount of money that you pay for a um, a player is that you know if it wasn't football, if this was like a manufacturing company, I'm sure you wouldn't be anywhere near it. But what, so what what is the attraction of investing in football? Most people like following the game, but maybe not making money from it. I mean the the attraction of investing in well run, conservatively financed sports franchises, let's talk about sports franchises in general, not mm. just football. The attraction is that we are in the middle of a multi-decade, massive, massive bull market in the value of such franchises. I mean, people ask me this question, why you invest in them? Actually, the, the, the simplest and the most incontrovertible answer is because just take a look at the values that are being placed on these assets when they change hands. Mm. You know, periodically, football clubs change hands. More often, US sports franchises, baseball, basketball, America, they change hands. They change hands at multiple, multiple times higher than they were five years ago or 20 years ago. It is a bull market in sports franchises. 
It's a bull market that makes conventional investors have to think twice because it's quite hard to justify the value on a price earnings ratio or a price to book ratio. But even so, you, you can't debate the proposition that they are in a bull market. Manchester United, I mean, just very quickly, Manchester United, you know that, that company listed on the London Stock Exchange in 1991? Mm. Yeah? The market value of Manchester United in 1991 was 20 million quid. Wow. 20 million quid. It's now, the Glazers bought it, then they've listed 20% of the equity on the New York Stock Exchange. The, the market value of Manchester United today in sterling, yeah, yeah. is 2.4 billion pounds, right? So it's gone from 20 million quid to 2.4 billion pounds over, what's that, 25, 26 years or something. Mm. 123 fold uplift in the value of Manchester United over that period. Now, why is that? Yeah, I mean, this Why is... Why is that? Is, is, Obviously, yeah. it was grossly undervalued in... 90, but what made it grossly undervalued? This, I, I, I don't know. I would say, you say this is, would you say this is an exceptional example? No. Because no. I can think of things no. like Rangers, it was on the, um, the market, which has gone to nothing. And um, That's why I was so careful to say conservatively financed. Yeah. yeah. Um, we looked at Rangers... And we didn't invest because we didn't like the debt. Mm. So, so I agree. As with any company, you, you've got to be comfortable that the financing is, is secure. We own Celtic, yeah? Mm. Celtic, it's not been our most successful investment, but since we bought it, it's probably quintupled. Mm. It's up fivefold since, I don't know, 2003, 2004. But that business has got net cash on its balance sheet. Very, very conservative. And that was one of the things that, that gave us comfort. The answer to my question, which maybe was a rhetorical question, the answer to my question is TV rights, mm. isn't it? I mean, I, that's yeah. fundamentally what's changed. Yeah. And even though, sure, a significant proportion of those billions of pounds or dollars that's come into the sports industry, a significant proportion has gone to the players, you're absolutely right, enough of it has stuck to make all leading sports franchises become significantly more valuable. I don't know if you saw this, but um, in the fourth quarter of last year, I can't remember, November maybe, Silver Lake, you ever heard of Silver Lake? Yeah. Which is a private equity US technology yeah. outfit, bought 10% of the company that owns Manchester City. Yeah, They paid $500 million dollars for a 10% stake in the company that owns Manchester City, effectively putting a value of $4.8 billion on Manchester City. Now, that is the highest look-through price that any football club has ever had attached to it. Now, maybe it's insane, maybe, yeah. I don't know, but it's an undeniable transaction in the market that's telling you that a very, very smart group of US business people think that there's a major strategic opportunity in owning part of a unique sports franchise. And that's why we're interested in them. Yeah. So what would you say that that makes your Manchester United investment um, look still looking too cheap today then? So, Well, you, you know, we could have a discussion about which of the noisy neighbours United or City is worth more. Mm. 
maybe we could go in the <laughs> corridor and have a fight over it. I don't know. But, 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 and, and these are dangerous to draw analogies. But, but, but I, I think what the Silver Lake deal to acquire that chunk of Manchester City shows is that, put it this way, we're not the only people, serious people. I mean, you know, I'm not a Manchester United fan. I'm not a, mm. I'm not a football nut at all. I'm interested in it from a very, very hard-nosed commercial perspective. It's showing that there are other serious capital allocators who think that these assets are of great strategic interest. Yeah. You know, for sure, we own something very rare and very durable. You know, people say, oh, doesn't it depend on their performance on the pitch? Well, I mentioned three that we own, yeah? Juve, <clears throat> Celtic, Manchester United. How many decades have those franchises been at the top or close to the top of their respective industry areas, yeah? Mm. Longer than most FTSE 100 constituents. Yeah. These things actually turn out to be... Uh, I, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not being rude about the, I don't know, Sunderland's or Millwall's. I'm, you know, uh, but we're not investing in them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but but these leading franchises, they actually have demonstrated fantastic durability. Yeah. So obviously, you you you're an incredibly experienced investor. But have you got any views on how to encourage more people to invest? The general public clearly we've been told quite a lot. We should put money away for the future and save hard, but. It's just trying to encourage people to actually do that, to actually part with part of the cash, put it somewhere to make a better return. I find it hard to conceive of anything that would be more socially and economically beneficial over time than getting more and more people involved in owning equity mm. uh, in productive companies, in emergent and new business as well. As well. I, it, it, it is a disappointment to me. I mean, you know, I've spent my entire career investing in the UK and the UK economy. And it's, you know, it's been a good stock market. It, it, I think it's by and large a, a strong corporate sector. But it is disappointing to, to see individuals turning their back on direct equity investment. And uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know what the policy prescription is uh, to, to turn that. Although I'm sure that your business has got a lot that you can do to, to help. But, you know, I'll say one thing, and this is not a serious policy prescription, but I find it very weird that gambling attracts, the winnings on gambling attracts no tax. Mm. Yeah. And yet the winning on making a successful investment in a productive company you are taxed, you know, obviously beyond a certain level, but there's a capital gains tax, you know, you're taxed on taking a risk to help a corporation become more successful. Yeah. And I think that that's socially an unproductive tax, but I think letting gambling winnings go untaxed, I think that's socially damaging, frankly. So, so to me, that doesn't make sense. And I'd, I'd love to see some of that change. Okay, Nick, thank you ever so much. Really great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. It's okay. Anytime. Thank you very much. 
So, did you enjoy the interview? I hope so. I certainly felt like we could have chatted for much longer, but Nick is a busy man and I was only granted a certain amount of time. Um, just to whet your appetite, in a few weeks' time, we've got James Anderson from Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust on the show. And he's been a massive supporter of Tesla and Amazon. I hopefully get some good stories out of him. So, for now, thank you very much for listening. Please do leave a review of the podcast if you haven't already done so. And we'll catch you next time when hopefully Laura will be back in the studio with me. Thanks a lot. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.